0: Welcome to Go Check Yourself. Today we're talking about season four, episode four Chuck versus the coup d'etat.
1: Coup d'etat. 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 Coup Coup d'etat. I think we're good. I think we're ready. I think we got it. Yes, that's right. We are Go Chuck Yourself, the Chuck podcast that dives into Chuck episode by episode, season by season. It started off with just one episode and here we are. All these episodes later, we are squarely in season four. My name is Chris Gillespie.
0: My name is Aaron Arada.
1: And we are indeed talking about Chuck versus the coup d'etat.
0: Great job. you, uh, You nailed it
1: thank you i'm uh, gonna try to avoid saying this phrase as much as i can throughout this episode even though i feel like i've mastered it i feel like i'm doing okay since we've we've practiced now
0: are you are you waiting for me to congratulate you because i already did that i mean i think you did great it was great sounded okay. like a regular frenchman
1: that's perfect <laughs> um so <laughs> that's what i was going for um before we start this episode i don't i don't want to say that this so in a recent experience that I've had was I don't really want to compare it to a a coup or, a, you know, as it's defined, a sudden violent overthrowing of an existing government by a small group.
0: OK, I don't um, know where this is going.
1: I would be remiss if I did not share with our listeners um, something that I, I recently received in the mail. And I want listeners to help me decide whether or not it was a thoughtful gesture or if it was a hurtful affront by a very close friend hitting me where it hurts most. Oh,
0: my God. I, j- I, asshole.
1: <laughs> uh I listeners of the show uh may be familiar with our uh our fixation on Frankie Muniz. We are, of course, a show, a podcast about the show Chuck, but we also talk about Frankie Muniz. We are pro-Frankie
0: podcast. PFP.
1: Uh, and that stems from when uh, one of our first episodes, I had mentioned that I was initially supposed to see Frankie Muniz 2. No, sorry, Agent Cody Banks 2. <laughs> In my mind, it's it's Frankie Muniz yeah. 2. Um, Agent Cody Banks 2, Destination London, on one of my birthdays when I was a child. But one of my birthday goers uh, was not feeling too hot, was reporting to feel nauseous on the drive to the theater. <laughs> so we had to cancel the movie going. And I never saw Agent Cody Banks 2, Destination London. So you can imagine my surprise when the other day I walked up to my mailbox and said, oh, there's a package in here. And I said, oh, this package, oh, it's from my my good friend, Erin Arada. I wonder what she could be sending me in the mail. And I'm like weighing it, and I'm like trying to feel the size, and I'm like, it's a soft envelope, but it feels like it's a VHS tape. And sure enough, I opened it up, and it is a VHS tape of Agent Cody Banks to Destination London. And uh, I just, obviously, I'm pleased to now have this film, uh, but I'm also kind of, it. It being on VHS is kind of. I feel like I've wandered through the desert for <laughs> you know fifteen years, and I finally come across this pool of water, and I reach in and I stick my hand in, and I scoop up some water, and the water turns to sand in my mouth. <laughs> I still cannot view this, Aaron. You don't this have does just v- not help me. Do
0: you? I. I mean, I, I. mailed it to you at your family home, so I thought maybe there was a VHS somewhere around there. Also, I just thought it was funny.
1: It is funny. Yeah, it is uh, Agent Cody Banks too? And then I had to. uh Lie to Aaron pretty for a few minutes before we started recording, like a sociopath where Aaron's <laughs> like, Well, I send you this thing in the mail. I don't know if you got it yet. I was like, No, I haven't received <laughs> anything.
0: I you were very believable. I, receive I really it. did I'm not. Sorry, think I lied to you. That's okay. I forgive you. <laughs> I hope you forgive me. That was the
1: hardest part because I was like, she's really believing this right yeah. now as I'm doing it. Like, yeah. I'm a really good liar. So um, looking at the back of the VHS tape. Did you know that Madonna is an executive producer of this?
0: No, I didn't know that. I did read the back of it and there are some gems on there, but I did not get to the Madonna part.
1: Madonna and Jason Alexander are executive producers. Okay. That's very weird. Um, What were you... So were you referring to the description on the back?
0: Just, um, I didn't... I've never seen that movie, so just, like, kind of the cast I thought was fun.
1: Frankie Muniz, Big Fat Liar Malcolm in the Middle, is up to his backpack Is up to his backpack and intrigue, a secret agent Cody Banks in this awesome action adventure, co-starring Anthony Anderson from Kangaroo Jack and Hannah Spirit from S Club Seven.
0: They really they replaced Hilary Duff. I guess Hilary did not want to be in this one.
1: Stacked with new gadgets, slick special effects, and wicked chase scenes, Agent Cody Banks Two: Destination London is a top-notch, top-secret sequel that's licensed to thrill. Foreign affairs get uh kid tested when Agent Cody Banks heads to England to catch an evil scientist who's stolen a mind-control device for his plot to rule the world. That sounds intense. Posing, a, posing as a student at an elite boarding school, the CIA's most junior agent teams up with London's hottest spy to stop this madman from turning world leaders into zombies.
0: See? So that's that's Agent Cody Banks 2, Destination London. It's um, an hour
1: and 40 minutes long. That's a long movie. That's a pretty... That's longer than I was expecting.
0: So... What I need to ask you is, are you going to leave that at your family home or are you going to bring it back with you to New York to display prominently? There's a right answer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The correct answer is that I will bring it back to my apartment and I will display it prominently. Thank
0: you, Chris. I appreciate that.
1: I will put it in a glass case somewhere.
0: So it's from um, there's a store called Cinephile here in L.A. that sells um, sells and rents movies that are not available on streaming systems, and they do have a VHS section, so I came across that, and I knew I had to send it to you, and I'm really glad I got it right. I was a little worried that the movie you were trying to see was Agent Cody Banks 1, so I'm glad. I'm glad I picked the right one. I, I think it's used, so I guess somebody didn't want their copy of Agent Cody Banks 2. Is, is the VHS correct as you take it out of there? Does it look okay? It is correct.
1: And and whoever was the previous owner, did they were kind and they did rewind. Oh, thank God. So, yeah, that'll make things easier if I ever find a a VHS player. Yeah,
0: so maybe we'll have an episode where we watch it. Who knows? (laughs) We certainly do not know.
1: But we certainly do know about Chuck versus the coup d'etat, and we know all about coup d'etats thanks to this episode. (laughs) So, Aaron, I would be... I, would, uh, I, I thank you for your kind gift, You're and welcome. I would love it if you would be able to uh, start off this episode by telling us how this episode opens.
0: Let's do it. So cruising right in after what the show is calling Chuck's accidental proposal, we get a little title card that says, What Happened Next? What happened next was, in fact, that Chuck and Sarah have an awkward little moment where Chuck is, uh, hes you may remember, he's holding an engagement ring, it seems like. He was trying to propose, but we, as the audience, know that he wasn't. He just picked it up off the ground. They have an awkward little conversation where Chuck notes that the ring was on the ground, finally, and Sarah is just like, oh, okay. Then we have my favorite moment where Sarah makes an excuse to leave, and Chuck says, right, I'm going to go exercise. And I, thought, I just thought that was fun, because obviously he's not going to go exercise. It was just a good line. We got to Morgan and Chuck watching footage of this encounter. Chuck is all in a tizzy because he wants to know if Sarah was excited or horrified by the idea of him proposing, even though he wasn't proposing, and Morgan, once again being very astute, says that the question Chuck should be worrying about isn't whether Sarah would have said yes, but if Chuck would have wanted her to. He says Chuck and Sarah are bad at communication in the day-to-day and could stand to work on that aspect of their relationship, and I know that in the past couple episodes of this season I've been a little iffy on the Chuck and Sarah, are uh, like... The development of their relationship and the problems and things like that, but I'm really into this plotline. I think they are pretty bad at communication, and it is cool to see them working on it. Apparently, the Buy More, which I cannot stress this enough, is an electronics store that sells discount electronics, is doing a book launch of uh, a book that... I don't know if he's supposed to be kind of like a Dr. Phil type, but it's like, or like a Dr. Ruth type, I don't know, but it's like a man who writes books about relationships. Specifically, mm-hmm. this one is about communication in relationships. So that's very convenient to the plot of this episode. Morgan convinces Chuck to utilize Dr. Fred's 101 Conversations Before I Do in learning to better communicate with Sarah. Chuck is reluctant, but he eventually agrees that he needs this. We move right into your favorite kind of close-up thing. I don't know if you noticed that that was really utilized in this episode. The close-up I'm referring to here is Devin talking directly to Ellie's stomach. Apparently, he's getting a little out of hand with all the baby stuff, talking to The Bump instead of Ellie for hours on end and buying a minivan, even though Ellie is barely even showing. She says she's four months pregnant. Ellie asks if they can take a vacation, and Devin is reluctant because he wants to start saving for their child's education, but Ellie seems to get through to him eventually. In Castle, Beckman tells Chuck and Sarah that the Costa Graven General Isimo's assistant, Torini, is in L.A., unannounced, and she wants them to stake out the embassy to figure out why. Casey drops in in his wheelchair, because you may remember that he got shot last episode, but Chuck, Mm -hmm. Sarah, and Beckman aren't having it and tell him to go back to bed. At the stakeout later, Chuck tries to broach the topic of the ring again, and it goes about how you'd expect. He finally admits that he got a book to help them learn how to better communicate, Sarah seems game to do this and asks if she should read it, but Chuck is like, no, 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 he'll read it. Then they'll discuss it. And I also, I really like this scene. It feels like very realistic to a real couple. And I thought Yvonne was incredible at being like a little bit awkward, but she's also game and she's making Chuck seem kind of like a fool, which I like. Mm -hmm. I thought she was great in this scene.
1: didn't think it was weird that Chuck was like, no, I'm going to be the one that reads the book. Yeah. Wouldn't it make sense if they both read the book, though? No,
0: I thought like I thought that was weird. I think like what the episode is trying to do is like Chuck doesn't want to tell her it's a book about like marriage or like preparing for marriage. So Mm. I think like that's why he said that. But it did like it does rub me the wrong way that like I mean, if I was Sarah, I would be like, well, why can't I read it? Like, why? Why do you have to be in charge of our communication? Like all of that. But I thought it was a cute scene.
1: Yeah. Also, where is Chuck getting the time to read this book? Because he works with Sarah and lives with Sarah as well. When does he have downtime? Is he just like sitting in his car somewhere in the parking lot reading by himself?
0: He, like, goes... I mean, he could sit in the courtyard. I don't know. He's, he has secret book time.
1: Maybe. Or maybe he's taking a, the dust jacket off of another book oh, and that's, putting it yes. on top of well, the... Well, we've seen
0: him do that before with the comic mm-hmm. books. So, yeah, he knows right. how to do that. They're interrupted by a call from Beckman, who says that Torini's motorcade isn't headed to the embassy. Where are they headed, you ask? Why? To Ellie and Devons, of course. Devin opens the door and he's a little bit alarmed when Torini says, Good evening, Dr. Woodcomb. Costa Gravis calls once more, which I got really excited. This episode or this season is doing a great job of of like calling back to previous seasons. And like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I cared as much the first time I watched Chuck, but now I'm like really excited to see my old friends.
1: Yeah, we uh the first appearance of the Costa Gravins in Chuck versus, uh, El Angel de la Morte was a, a standout episode yes. for us from season three. We both really liked it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was also very excited that the Costa Gravins are coming back. Yeah. And our, our friend, the Generalissimo.
0: I Yeah, I wasn't sure if the Generalissimo was going to be in it. Like, I was like, oh, maybe this Torino guy or Torini is like the new he's going to like be a stand in for the Generalissimo. Maybe they couldn't get Armand Asante. But boy, do they. So after the credits, Chuck and Sarah arrive at the Woodcombses just in time for Torini to put in a DVD sent directly from the Generalissimo. Let me tell you, it's incredible. It is Armando Asante, our Italian-American king, superimposed over footage of what is presumed to be Costa Gravas, He invites Ellie and Devin on a thank you trip to the palace. I don't know why he's doing this now, because it seems like it's been a little while since they saved his life, but he's a busy man. Mm -hmm. Uh, He invites them where they can relax in an island paradise for the weekend. Ellie is thrilled because she's been wanting to take what she calls a baby moon. Devin is a little worried, even when Sarah and Torini insist that Gravis is stable right now. Chuck suggests that he and Sarah tag along for protection, and Sarah is a little bit confused, but Torini accepts, and Ellie and Devin finally agree. Meanwhile, Morgan is taking care of Casey, which Casey is less than thrilled about. The doorbell in Casey's apartment rings, and it turns out to be Alex stopping by to bring Casey soup and sick day movies. She seems excited to see Morgan and makes reference to text conversations they've been having about recipes. Casey asks if they talk often, and Morgan tries to cover, but he and Alex continue to bond over Roman holiday and other things. Casey tells Morgan it's time for him to go, and Alex heads out too. My next note just says, Ugh, I'm not even going to talk about this scene, so I guess we'll never know what it was. Suffice it to say, Chuck packs the marriage conversation book to take with him on vacation. That's all you need to know. So they arrive at Costa Gravas. Considering the last scene, I was fully expecting that Sarah was going to walk into the palace wearing a bikini, but no, she is just wearing a regular dress. The generalissimo is there and excited to see everyone, especially Ellie, whose pregnancy he can apparently smell... I don't know. Can is that a thing? Uh, he says, "Allow me to introduce my wife." I had to do that. Sorry, I just had to get it out of there. Um, he does that, and uh, his wife's name is Hortensia, and she's very beautiful.
1: So the last time we saw the Generalissimo, he did not talk about his wife at all. Correct?
0: I don't remember it. And no,
1: she was not there. Certainly,
0: he was flirting with Ellie and he, Sarah. He was playing
1: it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which, not, the, not to say that he has he can't be married and also be flirting with women when he's... Because he was in America for a lot of that episode. Yes. So his wife could have been back in Costa Gravas, yeah. but he did not allude to being a married man. Although, as we find out later in this episode, they've been together for quite some time.
0: Quite some time. I'll have more to say about that later, Chris.
1: Okay, sounds good.
0: Yeah. So in the ballroom, everyone is dancing, but Chuck will not be swayed from his plan to have conversations. He and Sarah discuss nighttime habits, and Sarah admits that she needs 30 minutes of complete silence before sleep, which I was really impressed with, and I agree. Like, that is something that I would also like.
1: Yeah, I was on board.
0: They make a compromise on silence versus cuddling and are about to continue their talk when Chuck flashes on a hallway and realizes that there's a Soviet-era weapons system hiding in the palace. He wants to just ignore it and keep talking slash enjoying their vacation, but Sarah insists they check it out, hoping it's nothing meanwhile we see beautiful Hortensia has been walking around telling guards to get into position she tells one our beautiful socialist dream has been taken apart by capitalist swine and at that at that point really into her I that is how I feel about uh my my country <laughs> so whatever whatever her plan is I was on board <laughs> um I also forgot to mention this there's a uh the Generalissimo has constructed a nine-foot-tall shirtless statue of Devon. He's wearing a stethoscope um, over his shirtless body, and he has very um, strong abs, and he's... I don't know why this is in, like, this is in the ballroom of the palace. Like, he he just wants to honor Devon so much for saving his life. So, you know, that's there. I did want to say about this episode that, like, I know that their budget was, like, vastly cut, and... They t- they're they taking some swings. Like, it seems, like, I'm sure that there are ways in which they are um, cutting corners and everything, but they're, like, they're not backing away from, like, sending them on jet-setting trips and, like, having this, like, huge party and this huge statue and all of these things. Like, I'm sure it's not actually uh-huh. made of, like, marble or granite or anything. Like, it's probably plaster, but, like, that's still, like, a cost. They didn't have to include that, but they did, and it was great.
1: Yeah, I was wondering about that, too, because I was like, how did they make... That statue, um, someone on a a viewer had written on IMDB for the episode that you can tell when Devin, like, smacks the the rear end yes. of the, the statue coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the statue, like, shakes a little bit, which oh. obviously if it was marble, it wouldn't do. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was like, how did they even design that? Did they, like, take a mold of Devin? Yeah, was or, 3D um, printing Prime invented in 2010? Yeah, and then I was like, it's not a huge part of this episode, so how do they justify spending the resources to do this? What happened to the statue afterwards? Is it still available?
0: I know. I hope we can get
1: it. I would. Yeah, we should uh, put a bid in for it. Yeah.
0: Well, well, like I into nominate that.
1: you. Your apartment should keep it. I wouldn't want to keep it all to myself because I'm a very oh, generous guy. Oh, thank you. Guy, I appreciate that. I th- yeah,
0: I think. Um, I think it would look I, great in
1: your place. Yeah,
0: I, I'm looking at a perfect place for it right now.
1: Or maybe we can do kind of like a King Solomon thing and cut him in half (laughs) so we both get part of the statue. Well, maybe
0: I could like, it could be like a joint custody kind of thing where I have it half the year and then you can have it the other half of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. We can take turns driving it across the country. Perfect. So after Chuck flashes, Chuck and Sarah decide to call Casey, even though Chuck says that Casey's probably busy. Casey answers immediately because he's going stir crazy without being on a mission. Chuck tells him about the secret hallway, and Casey says that he knows that hallway from his Angel De La Morte days and can give Chuck and Sarah directions. Sarah wants to go after the weapon system, but Chuck wants to put off retrieving the weapon system so they can enjoy their evening and work on their communication skills. After all, Chuck says that they would need a massive diversion to occupy the crowd. Fortunately, they receive this in the form of the Generalissimo performing a ballad <laughs> for his wife.
0: It was beautiful.
1: As this is happening, Devin admires his new statue and starts to fret about the baby when Ellie finds him and suggests that they go off somewhere to get it on. Devin thanks his marble self and slaps the statue's rear. Chuck and Sarah make their way down the secret hallway with Chuck trying to ask Sarah some of the 101 questions from his book. Sarah answers them, but Chuck is not really satisfied with her answers to a comedic effect. They eventually find a room and sneak into it, only to find another locked heavy-duty door. Sarah presents some lock picks, but then there's a knocking on the door behind now, hold them. hold on, hold on, hold on, up. hold
0: on. She unlo- She picks the lock with um like their their drink things. They're like the uh, toothpicks that are in the drinks. There's like cherries on the end of them. I thought that was very cute.
1: Oh, is that what they were? Yeah,
0: you can't just say that she. You you gotta point out that she's using like the the drink, like the umbrellas and stuff. I don't know what those are called. If we have any bartenders who listen to Go Chug Yourself, just let us know what they're called. But she does use those.
1: I did not notice that. I'm sorry. That's okay. But thank you for, for picking up on I that. I did. Um. <laughs> so there's this knocking on the door, they freeze up, they think that the you know the guards are coming after them, but the door opens and it's none other than Devin and Ellie who are getting busy.
0: Yeah, they're just making Turn, out out there.
1: Turns out they're trying for twins.
0: <laughs> oh no, that's not how it works. No? No.
1: You don't just keep pumping them in there.
0: Don't ever say that again. You're you're a regular Jeff in this situation.
1: What? It's, a, there, it's just a husband and wife is there making room love. In that
0: womb for two.
1: There's an awkward exchange, kind of like this awkward exchange <laughs> uh, between the two couples when gunfire breaks out in the main ballroom. Rather than evacuate the building, our heroes return to the ballroom to see what's going on. Turns out Hortensia is leading a socialist coup against her husband, with her men attacking the premier's men. She takes the stage, an AK-47 in hand, and says, Bring me my husband's head. And
0: I have never seen a more beautiful sight in my life.
1: (laughs) Seeing this, Ellie asks Chuck to do some spy stuff while one of Hortensia's men decapitates Devin's statue with their gunfire. Um, Our heroes try to escape, but are intercepted by one of Hortensia's men, causing Chuck to flash on martial arts and steal his gun. Chuck passes the gun to Sarah, and then they work together to take out uh, more of Hortensia's uh, various henchmen. Ellie and Devin are impressed by Chuck and Sarah's badass spy skills, and Chuck and Sarah lead them out of the building. Sarah calls Casey for advice, and he tells them to go through the basement. As they do this, they bump into the Generalissimo and his men, who are also trying to hide and escape. Uh, So the Generalissimo offers to bring all of them to safety. Apparently, the path to safety runs through the Soviet weapons room, so Sarah takes out a little spy camera and snaps some photos of the various computer modules. The Generalissimo brings... Uh, everyone back to his private jet where they're able to relax in safety. Ellie bemoans the fact that her baby moon turned into a coup and says that it's all her fault, to which Devin says, no, babe, it's not your fault. It's Sarah's fault. She's the one who said this country was stable.
0: Yep. That's exactly Um, what he says.
1: He did not say that. He doesn't blame Sarah, Um, but he could, you know, she had, uh, she endorsed it even though not really willingly, but Devin reassures Ellie that they will have a rain check on their baby moon when they get back to L.A., Chuck is dismayed about his sister and brother-in-law's stellar communication skills and goes over to where Sarah is sitting on the plane to tell her this, even though (laughs) Ellie and Devin are like four feet away and Chuck is speaking at normal volume.
0: As as one does.
1: (laughs) Sarah don't give a shit about her and Chuck's (laughs) communication problems and tells him that they need to focus on the homeless dictator that they have on their hands. The generalissimo can't believe that his wife turned on him like that after they used to be so in love. Torini, his number two secondhand man from before... Tells him that they can bring him to the embassy in Los Angeles for the time being. But the Generalissimo says he can't trust the embassy now. So Sarah offers to get him set up with a CIA safe house. But the Generalissimo doesn't want just any CIA safe house. He wants to stay with the one person he can trust with his life. The Angel de la Vida. John (gasps) Casey himself. The next day at the Bymore, and I just have to say, based on this establishing shot we see of the Bymore, the Bymore is clearly not in the same plaza that it used no, to be. It's in. Not.
0: No, I noticed that too. There's not, we, I, we're missing the Home Depot and the Ralphs.
1: Right. And it's, it used to be that they had, it used to be like a horseshoe shape where they had the orange orange or wiener licious uh-huh. on the opposite side. But now it's really just kind of this long, narrow path. Um,
0: I guess the, the, the Bymore getting blown up caused them to do some major redecorating.
1: Yeah, maybe they had to uh, move to a different location. Yeah. I, the only other store that was there was underpants, etc.
0: I did notice that.
1: But all the other stores are closed, so uh, or there were empty spaces. So I guess this plaza is really struggling.
0: Well, you know, it was 2010. We were having uh, a recession then. We were having a lot of
1: trouble. True, we were. It's true. Anyhow, back at the buy bar, Morgan is stressed because he has a text from Alex asking him if he wants to get together for a movie marathon. And, uh, and did you
0: see how she signed that message?
1: She signed it X. Oh, wow. Getting pretty serious. Morgan doesn't know what to do about this, but Big, Big Mike walks in and Morgan asks him for advice. Morgan tells him that he's just met a girl that he really likes. But the only problem is that her father is John Casey. Big Mike is immediately concerned about this and says, that's one dad you don't want to get a spanking from.
0: I wrote that down, too. That's a good line.
1: <laughs> As if anyone who's a father can spank anyone else's bottoms.
0: I mean, yeah. No. OK, uh. there isn't. Wasn't there a show about that called like the slap on ABC? What? There was this prominent Australian drama that was called The Slap. And it was about like a fa- like it was about like a backyard barbecue where uh, one parent slaps another child or another parent's child. And then they made an American version that I believe was on Fox or NBC. Um, oh but yeah! It didn't do as well. Here, it was on NBC.
1: Think. It's an American drama television miniseries which aired on NBC from February twelfth to April second. Wow, I'm, almost one and a half months.
0: <laughs> I'm very fascinated by the Slap. I, if anyone has seen it, like I can't find it streaming anywhere. I would really like to see it.
1: Oh, I kind of remember the. Uh, I kind of remember this poster. Oh, it's got a pretty uh, Uma Thurman, it, Zachary Quinto.
0: That's the Slap. Now I'm wow. now I'm looking up the poster. Yeah.
1: Fandy Newton. That's a slap. Anyhow.
0: So, this has been a uh, go, go slap yourself.
1: Right. Not that there's anything funny about anyone hitting their children. No, no, no. Uh, but this this television program that happens to be about that seems like it would be kind of funny to watch, ironically. Anyhow. Uh, so, Big Mike proceeds to tell Morgan that if Morgan really likes Alex, he shouldn't care about his potential issues with Casey. Back in Castle, Sarah is analyzing the photos she took in Costa Graves of the Soviet weapon system. She apologizes to Chuck. Uh, because their vacation didn't go as planned but chuck says that's okay because they still have 80 something questions to go sarah says that they have a mission to do uh, and they need to be focusing on that right now but chuck says that the book suggests that partners talk to one another while each other is asleep which seems like it would be a good way to wake the other person (laughs) up if you're just talking to them but what do i know i'm not a doctor it's uh
0: it's six sense rules
1: Chuck continues to preach the virtues of Dr. Fred, the author of the book, when Sarah notices that Dr. Fred uh, has a display on the Bymore security camera. Sarah is upset to learn the true nature of Chuck's mysterious book, since she thought she had already put the engagement conversation to rest. Sarah doesn't understand why they uh, always need to talk and to change things and work on things in their relationship. Why can't they just be? At this point, Chuck flashes on one of the Soviet photos and tries to tell Sarah, but she's thinking about their relationship now. She says that, If they keep changing, they may lose what they love about each other. To which Chuck says, it's nuclear. And she says, I know. But then Chuck (laughs) explains that he was talking about the weapon system. The Costa Gravans have nukes. An emergency meeting is called with Beckman, Chuck, Sarah Casey, and the Generalissimo. The Generalissimo explains that he had nuclear missiles spread out through the jungles of Costa Gravas and that the system requires two keys to activate, one which he carries around his neck at all times and the other which he gave to his wife many years ago. As they have this conversation, Casey notices that Torini, who is apparently also staying with Casey, and the Generalissimo, I guess they are doing kind of like a threes Company kind of yeah. deal. Uh, he seems to be really interested in the talk of the nuclear keys. Beckman ends the meeting and tells Chuck and Sarah to get on a private line in which she directs them to get back to Costa Gravas to retrieve the nuclear key from the Generalissimo's ex-wife. So if he's trying to protect the keys, wouldn't it be better to spread them out or hide them rather than just giving them to... Like just a one couple, like a husband and wife, because if one, someone wanted the keys, he could just murder both of them.
0: I mean, that's okay. That's a good point. Yeah, he should have given one to Casey.
1: Right. If anything, like because the whole, you know, someone is trying to get these keys, as we will find out in a moment. It would have been easier for them to just do this in Costa Gravas instead of when having the Generalissimo exiled to America. Yeah,
0: that's um, that's a good point. You we it seems like we could lead a coup d'état, is what you're saying.
1: Ooh. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting, you're kind of, with your discussions of uh, socialism and everything, Aaron, earlier in this episode, it sounds like you're kind of getting, you're getting amped up. This might be used as evidence in something. Oh, God.
0: Okay. Um, No, I do not think that we should do a uh, go, (laughs) go coup yourself.
1: (laughs) We're not forming a militia. We're the two people in this country not forming a militia right now. Uh, Meanwhile, the generalissimo heads out into the courtyard of the apartment complex to smoke a Costa Graven cigar. Casey tells him that he's surprised that all this is happening since he wrote a report in the early 90s that said that the Generalissimo was likely to be taken down by someone else in his life, a radical who has the hots for Hortensia. Surprise, it's Torini. <gasps> Torini takes out his gun and Casey takes out his, and Casey tells the Generalissimo to get behind him. The two have a dramatic standoff where Torini says that he doesn't want to shoot a man in a wheelchair. So Casey stands up out of his chair. Um, it
0: was a miracle, just like uh, <laughs> Jesus. When Jesus did that. <laughs> also, the Generalissimo is, like, not behind Casey. Like, he could very easily be taken out by Trini at that point. He's, like, kind of, like, next to him. Uh-huh. It was, I I was bothered by that.
1: I appreciate the sentiment that Casey was, like, well, get behind me. I'll protect you. But I'm, like, well, I mean, you're in a wheelchair. Yeah. Just, the, the Generalissimo is standing, you know, above. You yeah, could, yeah, that so, too. You know, anyhow. Torini demands that the Generalissimo to come with him, but Casey won't have it. Torini points out that Casey is outnumbered as various laser focuses appear around his torso, but Casey says that he can handle it. And then he says something dramatic in Spanish, which I didn't quite catch. I don't know if you caught No, that. I didn't.
0: I was. This scene was a little confusing for me. Yeah,
1: so Casey says something, but then the Generalissimo knocks Casey out with a ceramic, like, planter pot. The Generalissimo says that he will give himself over as long as no harm comes to Casey. It seems that now the Generalissimo is the angel of life.
0: That was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment.
1: The next morning, Casey's back in his apartment somehow. I don't know if he woke up in the middle of the night and walked back in, or Casey and Sarah, or Chuck and Sarah walked in and saw him on the ground in the courtyard. Yeah,
0: someone put someone him there.
1: Hopefully Ellie didn't see him, because then she'd think that he's a, a drunk <laughs> that again. That
0: would have been a good scene.
1: Beckman reminds everyone that their mission is to return to Costa Graves and destroy the nuclear command system and find the weapons. Uh, Beckman asks Casey if he's ready to go on a mission, and Casey says that he knows every inch of that godforsaken slime hole. We then cut to Chuck, Sarah, and Casey wearing fatigues, crawling through the mud of Costa Gravas. Back at the Bymore, Dr. Fred is now here at the store doing a book signing. Doing a book
0: signing at the Bymore, an electronics store.
1: Morgan is excited to meet Dr. Fred and get his book signed and to ask for advice on how he should navigate his situation with Alex. As Dr. Fred starts hyping up his upcoming book, Instead of actually giving Morgan any advice, Big Mike pulls Morgan aside and asks why he's asking another man for relationship advice. Big Mike is outraged to find that Morgan is trying to get relationship advice from a book. All the advice Morgan needs, Big Mike says, is to kiss the woman on the lips. And if he feels smooth jams radiating from his soul, all of his questions will be answered. Big Mike storms off disgusted by Dr. Fred.
0: <laughs> Great advice.
1: I've never seen so much disdain in someone's eyes as Big Mike has for Dr. Fred.
0: I mean, that's that's fair. He doesn't, I mean, we don't get a lot of time with Dr. Fred, and he seems to help Chuck and Sarah, so maybe there are, maybe he does have some good advice, but Big Mike is not into that kind of thing.
1: No, he's not. doesn't have time for that.
0: So back in Costa Gravas, Chuck, Sarah, and Casey are sneaking through the sewer system, as Chris mentioned, or... It, it, I was unclear on if it was a sewer system or what it was, but...
1: Yeah, it's some kind of... It's like a tunnel. It's like a sewage system, but they are able to break into the Soviet missile room through like a panel in the wall. Not
0: air ducts. (laughs) That's all I knew about it.
1: (laughs) Not air ducts. Kind of like a cousin of an air duct, though. Yes,
0: yeah. So Hortensia, inside the, uh, the palace, is trying to make a video addressing the world. The Generalissimo asks why she's so angry with him, and she says she's been telling him for years that she was unhappy, but he would not go to counseling with her. She turns back to the camera, and we see that her threat is that if anyone tries to remove her from power, she'll use the two keys to start World War III. In the sewers, Casey suggests that they just blow up the whole room, but Chuck isn't into this, partially because they're very close to the room themselves. He's pretty adamant that he can help the Generalissimo and Hortensia with their relationship problems because he read a book and he's an expert now. As the situation in the room turns into a standoff with everyone pointing guns at each other, Chuck hops out of the sewers and into the room and offers to mediate. Sarah follows him. The guards take their guns, but don't kill them. Chuck leaves the Generalissimo and Hortensia in a conversation about how they used to be a team of revolutionaries, but since they moved into the palace, the Generalissimo has stopped listening to her ideas. Sarah asks if it was change that ruined their relationship, but Chuck climbs in to say that clearly, if Hortensia hasn't killed the Premier when, she has all, when she's had a lot of chances to, the love is still there. Despite Torini's protest, Hortensia listens to Chuck and begins a dialogue with her husband. After listening to them, Sarah realizes that their love hasn't and won't go away, and the Generalissimo and Hortensia finally make up. He promises to give her an official role as Secretary of State, and they kiss, Chuck and Sarah seem to have learned a lesson, too. How nice. Everybody's doing good. Back at the Bymore, Morgan is making a pro and con list about dating Alex. The pros are pretty, smells good, and likes me. His hand is over the con list, but it seems to be a list of ways in which Casey could hurt him. The only one I saw was choking. As he's doing this, Alex actually shows up. Morgan starts to talk to her about Dr. Fred, but she grabs him and kisses him. She says she knows he's freaked out about her dad, but she wants to do this, doesn't he? Morgan is a little caught off guard and says he wants to consider a few more elements and ask more questions and follow the steps in the book. Alex feels rejected by this and is about to leave when Morgan makes eye contact with Big Mike through the window and realizes he is hearing slow jams in his heart. He kisses Alex again, and it's a pretty intense kiss. They're they're going. They're going for it.
1: They're going for twins.
0: Oh, God. So in Costa Gravas, Team Bartowski is dismantling the nuclear system when Chuck flashes on it and realizes it's from Volkov Industries. He asks the Generalissimo about it and finds out that it was from Project Beacon, which is what Nicole Ritchie mentioned last episode. The Premier never met Agent Frost and says that Volkov forced her to stay in Russia like some kind of kept woman. Chuck and Sarah look at each other intrigued. The Generalissimo agrees to give Chuck all his files on Volkov, but he warns him that he might not like what he finds. Now we head back to L.A. for some indie music in the courtyard. Chuck runs into Ellie, and she tells him how grateful she is that he gave up the spy life he clearly loves for her. She's glad that there's no more secrets between them. He admits that he's been looking for their mom because maybe she had to leave instead of wanting to. Ellie is worried that Chuck's gonna discover their mom is exactly who they think she was, and Chuck says that if that's the case, at least they'll know. Later, Chuck is asleep, and Sarah starts talking to him. Apparently he's a pretty heavy sleeper because she's like, Chuck, hey Chuck, can you hear me? And he, he sleeps right through that. She tells him she loves him and nothing will ever change that. And if he asked her for real, she'd say yes. And Chuck smiles. I don't know if it's meant to be that he was pretending to be asleep or if he just like, kind of like heard her even in his dreams. <laughs> um, but he smiles. And that's the end. So we ended on a nice note. We've been ending on some like, more like, uh, not sinister, but like some like Chuck and Sarah strife at the end of episodes recently, and this was like a nice ending.
1: That is Chuck versus the coup d'état. Coup d'état. There was uh, lots of lots of love going around in this this particular yeah. episode, and we have a lot of love in our next segment. Uh, and we we don't even need to read one hundred and one questions before saying I do to to propose to uh, parts of this episode in this segment. This is Chuck Mary <laughs> kill. And uh, we're not going to ask any questions. We just are going to agree to marry these things. Aaron, what would you like to marry?
0: I truly loved the Generalissimo's Costa Gravas like, tourism video, inviting Ellie and Devin yeah. to visit him. Um, I thought that was hilarious. I thought it was a well-made video, and I think Armand DeSante was having a lot of fun with it. I would I would love to receive uh, that DVD in the mail and pop it into my DVD player and see, see him there.
1: They obviously enjoyed having him. His character is fun, yeah. and he must yeah. have enjoyed the role as well to come back and uh, reprieve it.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah. What's your Mary? Uh,
1: well, I you had alluded to this earlier, and I agreed, but I was keeping it a secret, much like I was keeping the secret of the uh, arrival of Agent Cody Banks 2. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that Yvonne's performance this week was really good. Yeah. Um, she was struggling to understand why Chuck was so fixated on their relationship and why she's... You know, when she's trying to bond with Hortensia and um, when she's talking to Chuck when he's asleep and um, there's just a lot of different sides. There was a lot of kind of like a a vulnerable Sarah, Mm -hmm. um, a confused Sarah that Mm -hmm. we get to see this time. Um, Slightly frustrated, I think, too, as well. So she's just a really, really great actress all the time. She was great. Yeah. Really good performance.
0: Less great are our kills. Do you want to go first?
1: Yeah. I mean, this week I just kind of... (sighs) I think the having the book display, the fact that the Buy More is selling books, it just makes no sense to me. It was like such a forced way of including this kind of book into this episode. Yeah. And I was trying to think like Morgan should have just found the book somewhere else. I'm definitely overthinking it, but I'm trying to think I'm like, well, I could see sometimes like stores that even if they're not, they don't usually sell books. They'll sell like really huge books, uh-huh. kind of like things that are going to be really popular just because yeah. it's like. Um, like, I think I got one of the Harry Potter, one of the later Harry Potter books at, like, a grocery store. Yeah, same here. I don't know if that's... Yeah. So, I could kind of see it if it was going to be, like, this massive kind of book, but the fact that it had, like, nothing to do with electronics or anything that the Buy More would sell, I just felt like it was such a, like, forced plot point. Yeah. So...
0: I think that's a good point. I think it would have been fine if Morgan just had it, or if it was, like, Morgan's favorite book, or even if, like, Morgan had got it from his mom, or, like, something...
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd you'd have to change how like Big Mike obviously has disdain for the book and the author, so you'd have to fix that, but yeah, it it just kind of felt very weird.
0: Yeah, that is fair. Um, I thought, I have a big kill and a little kill, I'll start with the big kill, Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that the end of this episode, although I enjoyed the tender moments between the Generalissimo and Hortensia, and between Sarah and Chuck, I thought that the ultimate conversation and the ultimate reason for Hortensia's like for leading the coup d'etat was a little bit underdeveloped or a little bit forced. I think, um, obviously Mm. Chuck is not going to do this, but I was in support like of her, like, doing this because she did not like the generalissimo's policies because she wanted to edge the country more towards socialism than capitalism. But instead it was only because she was mad at him because he wouldn't go to therapy, which is funny, but was a little bit um, of a letdown, I would say. Um, so that's my, that's my big kill, but my small kill, right. I feel is equally important. Uh, it is established in dialogue that Hortensia and the generalissimo have been married for upwards of 25 years and I mm-hmm. wanted to, uh, I looked up, um, I, I thought that seemed a little odd, so I looked up the age of the actress who plays Hortensia in this episode. She's played by Tia Tejada, and uh, she was 29 when this episode was filmed. So, um... What? So, the that seems to be implying that they they married when she was four, and I don't think that's what uh, they're trying to imply, so I think, um... Just that little line of dialogue, either cast someone else or not have that dialogue.
1: That's really interesting. I didn't even she didn't even strike me as looking that young. I thought she looked like an older woman. You think they aged her up at all, or oh, actually, okay, hold on, her?
0: hold on. Maybe my math is wrong. I I looked her up, and maybe hold on. Let's do some let's do some um, quick calculations. Um
1: she's 1971.
0: Okay. She was she was 39. I'm wrong. She was 39, not twenty-nine. Um Okay. But still, that's he he's much older than her, is the point. He was born in nineteen forty nine oh. and she was born in nineteen seventy one. So the the math um like maybe they got married when she was in her very early twenties, but it's still suspect.
1: Well, kind of like I feel like what you're hitting on, too, is that they kind of rely a lot on like, oh, you guys are the same age and you were two like crazy kids in love in these caves. But it sounds like he was a full, (laughs) full grown adult man. Yes. And she would have been a teenager. So, um. yeah.
0: So I was not into that. (laughs) Um, Again, I think she does a great job in the episode, um, but I would have preferred if they cast an older actress or if it was some kind of thing where. They just like said they got married recently or like they got married in the last 10 years or like whatever. Um, But just saying 25 made it weird
1: because I feel like when I had first found out that he had a wife, I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, they must have gotten married recently since we last saw him. That would almost make more sense to me, like as he's a character that is constantly has different women in his life and he's like constantly getting divorced and whatnot. So but apparently he's been with her this whole time.
0: No, I guess he has. So,
1: so, something that's well, I guess it hasn't been with us this whole time, but for a long time, we've been doing this podcast is the scooter scale, uh, where we take the, <laughs> the corn dogs out of the little corn dog oven, the little rotary uh, rotary uh, rotation. Chris is acting oven it out. Rotisserie? Kind of thing. <laughs> Rotisserie. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, and we decide whether how many corn dogs would we like to give this episode on a scale of zero to five. Aaron, how many corn dogs would you like to give Chuck versus? The coup d'etat.
0: I'm going to give Chuck versus the coup d'etat four Corn Dogs. I thought okay. that it was a generally enjoyable episode. Um the thing that I didn't like again is just kind of like the ending and the the ending of the coup d'etat felt a little bit um under underbaked for me, as I said, but everything else I really enjoyed. I really like how this episode added some complexities and challenges to Chuck and Sarah's relationship without um making them along the lines of, like, oh, like, I, w- I was just talking to Seth about this recently, that it does bug me in shows that have a will-they-won't-they they, where they get together and then they um throw some wrenches in their way immediately, and I just want them to be settled for a little while. I just want, I don't want to be questioning, mm-hmm. do they actually love each other? Does Sarah actually want to be with Chuck? Like, I just... um. Want them to face, like, normal couple challenges. And this communication issue felt very normal and felt true to their characters. I think they both handled it really well in their performances. Um, and I did really like the return of the Generalissimo. I liked what they did with his character. I thought it was funny, but also tense and a, a good mission of the week. Um, I like how it added to the Frost plotline. So I think this was um, this was fun. I enjoyed it a lot. So, four. Corn dogs. What about you?
1: Um, I think I want to give it a three out of five. That's good. I was excited to return to Costa Graves. Um, but this episode was not as fun for me as, um, Chuck versus the Angel of Death. Fair enough. uh, With the the first outing of the Generalissimo. Mm -hmm. Just because, um, I don't know. I felt like it was, (sighs) I don't know if it was the pacing. Like, I feel like not a lot happened, but it also felt like the episode like kind of dragged on to me for mm-hmm. a little while mm-hmm. like I think even just talking about it now I feel like it kind of the plot was was not too complex um and I I just feel like it was kind of heavy-handed with like the parallels between Chuck and Sarah and then the Generalissimo and Hortensia and I liked that Chuck was able to use his skills to mediate conversation between the Generalissimo and Hortensia and avoid World War 3 but And I too, like, kind of to your point too, like I was hoping that they would Chuck and Sarah would have an episode where they'd be able to put their relationship drama aside um, for just one week. But apparently, I have to wait a little bit longer for that.
0: That's all fair. I think it was
1: solid episode. I maybe maybe a little forgettable, but it was okay. It's okay by me. (laughs) Great. Um, Another thing that's okay by me is our our new lesson of the week where we say what we learned this week from this particular episode of Chuck. Aaron, what did you learn this week?
0: I learned that if I want to look like Sarah Walker, I should buy a teeth bleaching kit because apparently she's she's been using that. She's not naturally gifted with a beautifully white smile. She does bleach those teeth. She doesn't in front of Chuck. So, um, yeah, I could I could do that too and then I'd look like
1: her. Go for it. I I think about I'm like I wonder at what point will I uh, you know, get my teeth whitened. Have you ever seen people get their teeth whitened? Oh
0: of course your your teeth are pretty white. I mean, I'm looking at you through a camera and that it, they look pretty good to me.
1: Yeah, they look pretty white in this light. Yeah, I guess it depends on the light. yep. Uh, I learned this week that authoritarian authoritarian dictators have feelings too.
0: Oh, that's nice. They're just like us. Uh, did you think it was were you startled in the scene where Chuck had a gun? Because, like, Chuck is very anti-gun, as we've discussed. And there was a scene where oh, he, he just had, that. like... Yeah, he just gun? had it. I, did, I Like, he wasn't shooting yeah. anyone with it, but I was just, like, surprised that he held on to it. I would have thought that he would have just, like, handed it off to Sarah immediately or something.
1: Yeah, he looked very uh John McClane diehard-ish <laughs> Yeah, carrying around this gun. Yep. Um And Ellie, I think Ellie could notice noticed it, too. She was saying yeah. that Chuck is obviously, you know, misses his uh, spy work. Yeah, he's obviously he, great he looked good at
0: alive. That. I think is what she says. He did. So he
1: looked invigorated.
0: That's uh truck versus the coup d'etat.
1: And I've been invigorated by this episode. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I uh, will be uh, packing my bag soon to, uh, to go back to my uh, apartment in New York. And I will make sure that I have agent Cody banks too, which is a, uh, probably on the same level as chuck versus the coup d'etat in terms of international espionage and spy thrills. In
0: terms of quality,
1: maybe quality. Hopefully this episode of chuck was a little bit better, but I would I would hope that agent agent Cody Banks 2 is not better than your average episode of chuck, but who could say? Cuz I can't cuz I've never seen the movie.
0: <laughs> well, here's hoping that you will get to see it one day.
1: <laughs> So, thank you for listening. My name has been Chris Gillespie reminding you that food is sexy.
0: And my name is Aaron Arata letting you know that anything is possible. So, you can maybe watch a VHS of Agent Cody Banks 2 Destination London someday soon. Next, I I'll mail you a, a VHS a... player in the mail. A VCR, I guess <laughs> is what I meant to say. They're not very expensive.
1: I guess that's how we're ending this episode. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to go check yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.